0: morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. We're going to talk about marriage, how it relates to the church, and how it relates to the community. And so if you're married or if marriage is in your heart, um, this will be very applicable to you. And um, my wife, Barbara, is here with me also. She's right over here. We've been married 31 years. Um, we have uh, two adult children. As a matter of fact, our daughter is just married. And so for the first time, I was on the other side I was the father of the bride. How many of you have been a father of the bride before? Guys, raise your hand. How many of you have a daughter coming up that you will be a father of the bride one day? Raise your hand. Okay, very good. I want to share with you the three S's of father of the bride because this will help you be successful. And so I've helped hundreds of people get married and helped hundreds of parents talk and participate in the the marriage of their son or daughter. But until you experience it yourself, you're just talking, okay? And so um, the first S... That you have to remember a father the bride is show up okay wherever she tells you to go you just show up okay and so I can remember that my daughter called me and says dad I want you to see the wedding dress and so it's one of those places you go by appointment only you know and and there's like five or six brides running around I'm the only guy in there and everybody and I was just so uncomfortable but it meant so much to her for me to be in that environment so guys just show up okay um, the second one is very important, fathers. Remember, this is shut up, okay? Because anytime you suggest something to your daughter, it will make her cry, okay? So, a different venue, a different meal, it will just make her cry. So, just shut up, okay? Don't say anything. And the third S is the most important, guys, and that's, um, shell out, okay? Because it's gonna cost you a lot of money. And, uh, and so we had, a, my daughter had a destination wedding in Maui, so we went there. We had a great time, and, and then I told her immediately following the wedding, I said, Veronica, your mom and I, we were pleased to pay for this wedding and give you guys a great start in your life, but this wasn't about the wedding. It was about grandchildren, so get busy, okay? It was a down payment on grandchildren. That's what this is all about. And so um, we have an adult son um, who's 27, and he's a paramedic in town, and so um, that's our family, and I have some family members with me. My niece is over here, and my sister and my mom, and a friend showed up, so um, we just brought a little posse with us today. Um, but my relationship with my wife um, started off very uniquely. Um, she was walking down the road with my sister. We had moved from California to Montana, so we were the big city kids moving to the country kids, okay? And uh, and so I drove by on my motorcycle. I had a dirt bike, and I stopped by them, and I says, um, I need a kickstand. Who would be my kickstand? And it truly was a great pickup line, okay, uh, who will be my kickstand. But it really was true. I needed a kickstand. I had a dirt bike, no, uh, no um, kickstand on it, and I had to go to the hardware store. So I needed somebody to hold my bike up while I went to the hardware store. And so Barbara volunteered. She got in the back of my motorcycle, but I didn't know that. In Montana, if you ask a girl to be your kickstand, it's a marriage proposal. And so you learn a lot. So when you, you move to another, another state, make sure you know the rules. But um, it's a pleasure to be here. And what we're going to do is talk about um, a missional model of marriages and the missional church. Because there has been a, a, a widening gap between churches and their communities over the issues of marriage and family life. And I don't, I don't need to tell you that, but I want to remind you what God wants to do through the local church. And I'm a churchman. Um, I am committed to the local church. Barbara and I, we've served five different churches in 25 years of pastoring. And so we love the church, and we want to equip and empower the church to be able to reach out to the community as best as they can. And so at no other time in our history, perhaps, has the values of marriage and family life, the biblical values, been so distant with its society. And so this widening gap often separates people from the local church because they often feel that, well, they don't understand my relationship or they don't understand my family. But that gives us an opportunity because I believe that God wants to use the local church to begin to reach into the community through the area of marriage and family life. And so there's a great opportunity because the, but there's instability both in Christian marriages and in secular marriages. So there's an opportunity but also a crisis that we're going to address. So when we recognize the noticeable gap, even in Christian couples, because we are at once in the community not knowing who Christ was, what the purpose of marriage was, and so we're learning as we go, but we have a community that is completely lost in the area of marriage and family life. And so legislation has been passed in certain states, such as Louisiana and Arkansas. What they did was they passed marriage amendments that was called covenant marriage. And so when you signed up for your marriage license, you could say, I believe in covenant marriage, which means that you could not get a divorce quickly or easily if your marriage fell into crisis. And so it was promoting healthy marriage because marriage makes the community healthy, the church healthy, our country healthy. It's very much of our foundational principles of our very own country. And so the Christian legislation was really behind this. But what happened was only 2% of people chose covenant marriage license. So even Christians were saying, I don't know if I want to sign up for something that may make it more difficult for me to end my marriage if something happens. And so we see a gap in the church and a gap in the community. But God has a plan for us. So this is God's plan, is that... Marriage is the environment where unconditional love can be shared between a man and a woman because unconditional love is a demonstration of God's presence in the community. And I just want to encourage you that your marriage and your family life is one of the greatest evangelistic opportunities that we have in our community because the world is completely lost on the aspect of what is a marriage and how do you make it work, how do you make it last. And so we have an opportunity to enrich marriages in the church, as well as reach out to marriages in the community as we develop a missional view of what marriage and family life is all about. And so here's what I've learned about the church serving in 25 years of pastoring, is that we value what we prioritize. And we typically prioritize growth plans. It is very common for churches to have a growth plan for their members because we have to grow in our faith. We need to be into the word. We need to be in prayer, in fellowship, and in serving. So how do we grow our spiritual life? And then there's an aspect of biblical finances because once we understand biblical finances, our obedience to God opens an amazing opportunity of blessing into our life and provision. And then we have a great great emphasis on leadership development because we believe that everybody is a priest in God's kingdom and God wants to equip you to not only serve in the body, but to use your leadership gifts out in the community to draw people into faith. And so we have those commitments to growth plans, but I have never been in a church that has a growth plan for marriages and families. See, it's like we just figured people would figure out how to do it and maybe just naturally do it. But as we recognize the struggles in marriage and Christians as well as secular marriages, we realize it's not something that we just do naturally anymore. Matter of fact, since 1973 and no-fault divorce in California, it is very likely that young adults in this culture right now, that their um, parents were divorced. But not only that, but their grandparents were divorced. And so young adults have often lost two generations of marriage to say, how do you do this for a lifetime? See, we, the church, have been given that information and opportunity to teach the world what it means to be in a covenant marriage relationships and the benefits of it. And so who needs a growth plan for marriage and family life in the church? Well, every leader does. Every pastor does. Every Sunday school teacher. Every small group leader. Anybody that is married or has a family needs to say, how am I growing my marriage and family so that we can continue to be strong and demonstrate what it means to have the love of God flowing in our life and our family. So what defined this as a church? And so we use the word missional church. And the church was a time of sending and being sent. And so historically, you know the church history, is that we have sent missionaries around the world that has preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, and there has been amazing success at that amazing success but we also are a sent organization so that we are sent out into our communities to demonstrate the love of God and if there's one way that the world is wanting to know how do you experience the love of God or true love or sacrificial love it's a man and a woman who are committed to each other and their children walking out faithfully together the world doesn't know how to do that and so what is a missional church in today's culture? A missional church includes equipping and empowering married couples to demonstrate the love of God to others in their community. But that's really a radical view for most churches, a radical view, because we ask men to serve in men's ministry, women to serve in women's, women's ministry, but rarely do we help couples in their most natural environment as husband and wife, mother and father, inviting other people into what God has done in their life. Let me give you an illustration. Um, at Marriage and Family Life and at Vineyard Columbus, um, when I first got there, it was about seven years ago, I would go up to a couple and say, would you guys be willing to be a marriage mentor? And here's what I got 99% of the time. Oh, Ron, I need a mentor. <laughs> Our marriage needs a mentor. Well, who doesn't need a mentor, right? Who doesn't need someone to speak into your life? We all need that. So we changed the name to Marriage Coach. Because, see, a marriage coach is just a student of the game. And sometimes coaches weren't even the best players, but they've studied and they've learned and they've practiced what they know about marriage. Another illustration. Let's say somebody that has um, an alcohol dependency issue. They're an alcoholic. They come into the church and they hear the gospel message. And all of a sudden, they receive that message into their heart. And they receive counsel from the church that says, you need to go to a recovery group and really learn to find freedom. But you are a part of our body here. You are a follower of Christ. And so that person goes to that recovery group. And what do you think they begin to talk about? They begin to talk about what Jesus did for them. They don't know anything about Jesus, really. They just know he came into his heart and changed his life. And see, marriage is the same way. What you know about marriage today is so valuable to someone who doesn't understand what marriage is at all. And too many times in marriage we focus on what we don't do well and we hide what we do well together. And see, if we can begin to help couples to see that there is no environment where God says you have to know more before you begin to proclaim what he has done in your life. But somehow we put this picture that marriages have to be all together, but there is not a marriage that's all together. It's a growth and growing relationship. And so what you know today is so valuable to people in the community, and they're just desperately wondering, who will help me understand how to be married and how a marriage lasts and how my family can benefit from it? And so the question is, does the church have a future? And so on the slide, we have a quote there from Rick Rouse and Craig Van Gelder, the authors of Field Guide for Missional Congregations. They warn his readers, in order for the church to have a future, it must understand the context of community and how the gospel message is presented to them. So we've got to understand our community. When I was first pastoring, it was very common for someone that I would meet them and they'd talk about this hole that they would have in their in their heart and they didn't know how to fill it. And we would talk to them about Jesus. You guys did that, right? That's what you many of you have done. But what I see over and over again now is that couples are saying, We don't know how to make this work. It's failing. Who will help us understand how to do marriage and family life? And God has equipped us. And so it's very interesting. If we recognize that there has been a collapse of biblical understanding, almost biblical illiteracy, and 25% of the couples that I work with are cohabiting, and 49% of couples who get married cohabit before they get married. And so our culture says marriage is dangerous. Remember, we talked about two gener- losing two generations of marriage and family to follow. So many people think marriage, when they, you say marriage, they say divorce. They say pain, which is contrary to what God really has for marriage. And so we have a number of cohabiting couples that have been in church for three to five years. And they love God and they love their church. But they've never seen a relationship where a husband and a wife came together and followed the Lord together. They've never seen a husband and wife living out their faith together. And so they get locked. One cares about God and loves the church. The other one cares about God. But they don't have to come together and say, how do we participate in what God has for us in relationship? And that's the amazing opportunity that churches have today demonstrating husbands and wives coming together. And if you're a cohabiting couple today, know that you're loved and valued. And God does have a plan to help you learn how to walk together in this life of faith. And so when we recognize, does the church have a future? It has a great future. But do we understand where our community is so that we can invite them into our Christ-centered relationships and families? Because they're desperate to know. So what's the condition of relationships? 49% of marrying couples cohabit before they're married. It's more likely for a married couple in the the United States with children to divorce than a cohabiting couple with children in France or Italy or Germany or Sweden or England. And so, see, America has a history of valuing marriage, but they end more quickly than cohabiting relationships in other couples. See, we've lost the purpose of what God desires for marriage. Marriage becomes become dangerous, and now we as the church can proclaim, no, marriage is good, and it's good for you. We just need to release our people and train them how to invite people into it. Marriage is now a capstone for many cohabiting couples. They found the person they want to be with, they've had children, they have a house, they have their careers, and then they think, well, now I'll get married. So marriage as a capstone is very different because, see, if you think marriage is a capstone rather than a, a cornerstone, as soon as they get married, the weight of that commitment comes upon them and they're very ill-prepared for the weight of that commitment. And often we recognize this, that up to 20% of cohabiting couples divorce in the first five years of marriage. So we already have about a 43 to 45% divorce rate. You add 20% on top of that for cohabiting couples And so they think they're doing it safe, but they're actually doing it in reverse. But we, the church, can help them. And that's the beauty of a missional church. So what makes marriage unique? Here's what it is. It's commitment. It's the commitment that we have to our marriages and to our families. That's what makes us unique. See, many people who don't know Christ love their their spouse, love their children, but they don't have the commitment part down because they haven't experienced the commitment that Jesus has to them. So here is the amazing thing of the church, why we are so prepared to move into our community through marriage and family life. The church is filled with formerly cohabiting couples who are now married, and they're committed to marriage. See, they could be missionaries to couples who are cohabiting their community and saying, this is what how Jesus made a difference in our life, opening the door of faith to them and faith community. Our churches are filled with people who were divorced but are now remarried and are committed to their marriage and to their family and stepfamilies. And the world is looking for who will teach us and show us how to be committed to each other. And so when we recognize the church is fully prepared and we have couples who have been married to the wife or the husband of their youth, and there's a world saying, how do you stay married? How do you stay with the priority of your family? And so the church is uniquely equipped. Matter of fact, we are treasures. Your marriage and your commitment to your family is a treasure. And when we unfold it, it will draw hundreds and thousands of people that never understood the church is there and understands them. We just need to take, unwrap the gift and say, this is who we are. We are reconciled people with God We've been reconciled in our relationships, and now you're welcomed here. So often, churches without a view of marriage and family life on a missional level, they'll miss the opportunity to expose the treasure. And so here's what you want to do, is learn to give away the grace that God has placed in your marriage or your parenting. For some of you, God has placed a gift of communication or a gift of conflict resolution, or a gift of biblical finances, or a gift of of parenting. Do you know there are so many people who are saying, who will show me how to do that? Who will show me how to communicate? See, all we have to do is give away the strength that God's placed within us. And when we begin to give that away, it will transform our community and even our church. Because there are many young adults who are now in church, but they never saw a mom and dad walking together in their faith, and they just don't know how to do it in their own relationships. And so I'm going to walk you through a process called the change process. And what we're going to learn is what is it that God has placed within our ability to change because marriage is all about change, but so is the Christian life. It is all about change. So we're going to be in Romans 28 and 29. It says this, And we know that in all things God's work for the good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose for those God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters and those he predestined he also called those he called he also justified and those he justified he also glorified and some of you may be wondering how does that verse relate to marriage well it relates to change the christian life is all about change and so is marriage God created marriage so that a man and woman would become more like his son and demonstrate the love of God to each other. But when you think of this verse, the the vitality of the Christian life is the opportunity for change. So it says you were called. What that means is you were once in darkness and now you were called into light. You've been called. God knows your name and he knows your marriage. He knows your parenting. It says that you were justified, which means that you have received a verdict of not guilty. In his eyes, you are innocent. That's a beautiful thing. And it says you've been glorified. To be glorified means that the very weight of God, the very wisdom of God, the blessing of God, the love of God is now rest upon you. And it's not unusual for people to seek you out, whether it's on the job or in your neighborhood, because they recognize the glory of God on your life. And they say, tell me, how does your life work? You have just as many problems as I do, but how does your life work? See, it's the weight of God. And see, God has placed his glory on marriage that he wants to attract other people into it so you can invite them into faith. And so it's all about change. Matter of fact, before you can have change, you have to have an exchange. So many times when you go into God's presence, you're asking him for his peace, for his mercy, for his forgiveness, for his wisdom. That means that you have to exchange what you have for what he has. And some of you experience that that presence of God through your devotion, through reading the word or devotional book or through worship or just taking a walk and just meditating on god and all of a sudden his presence comes into your life and all of a sudden you say father i need your peace and the beautiful thing about it is god's peace visits you but the christian life was meant to do this you have to exchange what you have for what he has because there's things that are blocking our peace or our joy and so we have to give god our anxiety maybe we felt rejected maybe we've become bitter the way people have have, have taught treated us See, we have to say god i give you my anger my bitterness my rejection but, and i want your peace and see that's the christian life the christian life is most vital when we're exchanging what we have for what god has and he says we could do that you can cast all your cares on him and he gives you what he has and it's a really good deal for you and i it's not such a good deal for god but it's a really good deal for you So when we realize there is nothing in your humanity that doesn't need to change, then you can embrace change. Matter of fact, if if you're with your spouse or with a friend, just look at them and say, change is important, it's needed. You want to do that? No one wants to do that here, okay? (laughs) You don't want to start a fight. But if you resist change, you're just resisting more of God in your life. And so I want to walk you through a very quick process now of how God has brought the ability for us to change and to demonstrate transformation not only to the couples in the church, but the couples in our community. So the first stage of the change process is what we call unhappy or dissatisfied. See, typically, when we're unhappy or dissatisfied, we go to our spouse and say, hey, I'm unhappy or dissatisfied, and then all of a sudden, they feel blamed because there's only two of you in the relationship. I'm unhappy, I'm dissatisfied, Uh uh-oh, I'm the problem. Look how... How opposite ends couples are at in that place. See, that's not a very good process for change because, see, unhappiness and dissatisfaction are very poor motivators to change. And if you go to your spouse, unhappy or dissatisfied, often you'll experience this that they feel blamed and they're opposite of you. And then you try to express yourself of why you're unhappy or dissatisfied. And then they go to the blind and deaf stage and say, I don't hear what you hear. I don't see what you see. I don't have a tone. I'm happy. Why aren't you happy? And so they're blind and deaf to your unhappiness because, see, your unhappiness belongs to you. And when you expect your spouse to own your unhappiness, you put them in a position to, you know, a very unhealthy position to be able to come alongside of you and change. And then they progress even farther. Then the person who is unhappy or dissatisfied begins to try to convince their husband or wife, why they're unhappy or dissatisfied. So last week, last month, last year, last vacation, and I've had couples in my office, married 20 or 25 years, and and on that convinced stage and they go, on our honeymoon. I'm going, whoa, that's a long time. (laughs) And see, what they're trying to do is they're just trying to communicate the sense of unhappiness and dissatisfaction. It may not even be related to the issue at hand, but what they've done is they've ticked off every area where they're unhappy or dissatisfied, and now their spouse is overwhelmed because all you think about is the negative things. You never look at the positive things. And then all of a sudden, now the spouse is, un- is offended. So one is unhappy or dissatisfied, and their husband or wife is offended because every negative thing has been talked about. And so many people live on this side of the curve, and now we go even further in the progression The person um, who was offended now begins to resist. And they say, you know what? You're not the easiest person in the world to live with, you know. You know, you don't see everything correctly, you know. And all of a sudden, they begin to resist the opportunity for change. And now, the person who isn't happy or dissatisfied, now they're offended. So you have both the husband offended and you have the wife offended. And many couples live... On this left side of the curve, they just go up and down, up and down, up and down. But see, Christian marriages have the ability to change because we change as Christians. It's the most natural thing that we have going for us in Christianity. Change is possible. We can become more like Christ. We can receive more of him in our life. So here's what we do in marriage. We make a commitment that whenever we're unhappy or dissatisfied, we go to God with that unhappiness or dissatisfaction before we go to our spouse. So you have to make that commitment because this is what I've learned about marriage, that God uses marriage to get the attention of the husband or wife at times. It has nothing to do with their spouse. It's like this. You know, God, I'm really unhappy or dissatisfied the way Barbara's been talking to me. And God says, Ron, this is about me and you. Maybe you have a sense of entitlement. Maybe you have a wrong view of what respect looks like. Maybe you don't like to be questioned. So, Ron, I've been trying to get your attention. And it's not, nothing to do with my spouse. It's about what God wants to do in my life. And so once we begin to take that to God, and if we can't resolve it with God, here's what I recognize, that God never changes just one person in the marriage because he sees you as one. He doesn't see you as two. He sees you as one. And sometimes God uses the wife to initiate a change process that he wants to have in the relationship. And sometimes he uses the man to initiate changes that he wants to have in the relationship. Because, see, that's what marriage is all about. When the wife is sharing the love of God and the gifts of God to her husband, he understands God in the deeper way. And when the husband shares the love of God and the gifts of God with his wife, she understands God in the deeper way. That's the purpose of marriage. See, the purpose of marriage helps us to live with God for eternity. Now, God is spirit. We're, he's infinite. We're finite. God created marriage, and he put men and women together. And there's no different word, greater difference in creation than men and women. And then when a man and woman come together in a covenant relationship, sharing who God is and how God works in their life, they actually learn to live with God exchanging and expressing sacrificial love to each other, truth to each other. And so when your spouse goes to you and say, I've tried to work this out with God, but I can't, you have an opportunity, and it's called acceptance. Instead of feeling blamed, you now say, if you've been taking this to God and you can't work it out, maybe God has something he wants to do in our relationship. God wants to change the way things happen between us or in us. See, that's a beautiful picture Instead of blame, acceptance. God, what are you going to do in our relationship to help us reflect the love of God more deeply? It's a great opportunity. And then the next stage is called hope. Because when you begin to pray together and say, God, what are you going to do in us as a couple? Then you come together. No longer you're on opposite ends of the change process. Now you're together seeking the Lord for change. Because remember, he doesn't change just one person. And then the last stage is reconciliation. Reconciliation means this, that the best is yet ahead. See, many many couples resist change because they're trying to recapture their past. God's not trying to recapture the past. God is trying to do something new in you. And see, when couples get stuck in the past, then they don't want to go forward and they resist change. I can't tell you how many couples I've had in my office that that told me this, Ron, I'm not going to change anymore for my husband or my wife. I'm not going to change anymore. What they're saying is they're not going to grow in their faith anymore. They're not going to grow in their love anymore, their peace anymore. Because, see, life is all about change. And, see, when you say, I will not change, you're saying, oh, I've got enough of God. Here's one thing that will never happen. When I go into God's presence and I say, Father, I need more of your love, he'll never say this to me, oh, Ron, your love and my love is just like the same. You don't need to come to me anymore. When I go into God's presence and say, God, I need your wisdom, he'll say, oh, Ron, don't come for wisdom anymore because my thoughts are like your thoughts. It'll never happen, okay? We will always need to change. And marriage, when it changes, we become more like Christ to each other and to the world. See, that's what we have as Christians. There's a couple in my office who have a great marriage, they had a great life, a great family, they were leaders, they're career people. They have a life that most people dream about. But their life was busy, and the wife was working through a process that we call the Life in Motion Relationships Inventory, the LIMRI. It's what we use to help couples develop strengths in their relationship. And the worksheet said, I want more closeness with my spouse. I mean, they had great lives, but they were busy lives. And so you look at their life and there's just nothing to give up. What do you do? Well, the husband began to pray and he began to say, Father, how can I help my wife to feel closer to me? And he hears this, nine holes. For some of you, don't know what that means. For others, it means about two and a half hours of golf on a weekend. See, once a week, that was his thing. It recharged his batteries. He had three other guys that he really connected with. They encouraged each other. They supported each other. And then they went out and did everything they needed to do all week long. And he felt the Lord say, give your wife nine holes. And so they come back into my office and they and they said, the Lord really spoke to me and said, give my wife nine holes. So I will go off nine holes. And then I come home and say, whatever you want to do for two and a half hours, but we'll do whatever you want. And so the opportunity, the Lord's in it. Now, she could have said this. I won all 18. (laughs) She could have said that. But see, the best is yet to come. See, when we believe that the best is yet to come, then we can trust that God has our best interest in mind. And so he was willing to lose nine holes, which were important to him for the sake of the best is yet to come. And see, when couples embrace reconciliation, then they can experience losses for the sake of experiencing the depths of God's love in their marriage. See, that's what we have to offer the world. And when the world sees that, they go, that's what I want because they know what it looks like to be on the left-hand side. That's where they live their life. And we can invite them on the right-hand side. And that's the beautiful thing the church can do. And remember... The church is desperate for this. The church is desperate, but also the community is desperate. Because we have two things that no one else has. That's reconciliation and restoration. Reconciliation happens when you take your sin to God. Father, I have sinned against you. Reconciliation is between you and God only. When we have sinned against God or sinned against our spouse or our children or whoever it is, we go say, Father, I need your forgiveness. I need your mercy. And God brings it. And then the spouse who's been sinned against needs to go to God and say, Father, I need your healing. My heart hurts for what I experienced. See, God is in the process of forgiving us and healing us. Then we have restoration. And restoration is an exchange between two people. Think about it. One person was being angry. I was angry, but now I'm going to be gentle. I was judgmental. Now I'm going to be humble. See, the the exchange process, because it's becoming more like Jesus. When we understand the power that God has placed within the church, within marriage, within our commitment to family, all of a sudden, we can have a missional view. Because... That's what I do. I help churches train couples to be coaches. Giving away the grace and the strength that God's placed in your marriage. And what you have today is desperately valuable to couples who need to find what God's given you. We grow marriage. We grow our relationships. But we give it away as we're growing because there's no perfect relationship. But when we uncover the treasure that God's placed in our congregation through our commitment to marriage and our children, to parenting, the world will come, I believe. I believe it'll be a greater movement than the Jesus movement because our world is so relationally deficient and we are God's purpose and plan to demonstrate what love and commitment to marriage and family is all about. I've come to the end of my time, but what I want to do is pray for couples You may not be here with your spouse, but I'd like to pray a blessing over your marriage and over your family. So if you're married, would you just stand up and I'm going to pray a blessing over you. Know that God has put his glory on you. So, Father, I pray for every marriage, for every family that's represented here, for every parent. God, I pray that you would encourage them, that change helps us to become more like Jesus and that our spouse is so important to that change process. So, God, I'm asking that you would put a benefit and a blessing over each couple here, over each parent, that you would help them to see that the strength you place within them will lead others into a salvation and community of of the church. God, protect them from the evil one that would tell them they don't know enough but they don't have it all together. God, that is not your plan. Your plan is for us to be obedient, to tell people what Jesus has done in our life. So I pray for this church, God, and, and the mission that it has, but also the mission that's available to them. Healed and reconciled relationships. God, thank you for this church and for these families. Protect them, I pray, and empower them in Jesus' name. Amen.